thank you for downloading or streaming this episode of Band Biographies. You can find more episodes at bandbiographies.com. That's B-A-N-N-E-D biographies.com. If you enjoy it, why not leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts. Apparently, it helps get the show up the charts so more people can see it, to download it, and then to leave further five-star reviews. Another way you can help is by telling as many friends as possible to give it a download. Please do reach out on Twitter at BandBiogs, on Instagram at BandBiographies, search on Facebook for BandBiographies, or by emailing BandBiographies at gmail.com. But most of all, enjoy. Hello, and welcome to this special episode of the Band Biographies podcast. This month, I'm featuring a podcast I appeared on back in February 2022 called the Broken Record Player podcast, hosted by Ryan Schaff from San Francisco, who has kindly agreed for me to feature this episode on my feed while I continue to work on my next documentary, which is turning into an epic. What you'll hear on this episode is something a little different. Ryan and me discussing the French house duo Daft Punk's iconic 2001 album Discovery. You can find the Broken Record Player podcast on all the platforms you use to listen to podcasts, as well as on Facebook at Broken Record Player Podcast and Twitter at Broken Record 530. Please do go and subscribe because he'll definitely have covered an album you love from any kind of genre. And when you do, let him know that you heard him here first. So, without further ado, please enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, welcome back. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We had another successful record giveaway last month, so make sure you're following the podcast on Instagram to get a chance to win free records. Who doesn't want a free record? Also, you all decided, or I should say the Instagram followers decided, on the next 100 favorite albums list I do, and it will be the 70s this time. I did the 80s last time, and that took a long time to finish. Posting it was short, but picking 100 favorite albums from the 80s was a lot harder than I thought. You can see the list on the website, www.thebrokenrecordplayerpodcast.squarespace.com, or you can see them on Instagram under my profile in the highlights section. I recommend you go there because... It was more fun to add animations for each album and have song clips, etc. But anyway, stay tuned for my 100 favorite albums of the 70s. And it's fitting that I'm doing the 70s because the album I'm talking about today owes a lot to the 70s. Daft Punk's Discovery was a nostalgic tribute to the music of their childhood, one that mainly included 70s funk and disco. Discussing this album with me today is Tom Austin Morgan, the host of two podcasts, Band Biographies and Anywhere But Here. We'll talk about the robot getup, the samples, the beats, the anime movie that was made after this album, and the breakup. It's Daft Punk and their album Discovery on this episode of the Broken Record Player Podcast. We're back. Thanks for tuning in. I've got a new face today. Really excited to have him here. Please welcome Tom Austin Morgan. Hey, Tom, how's it going? Hi, Ryan. Thanks very, uh, thanks very much for having me on. Absolutely. Tom is the host of a, a number of podcasts, including band biographies uh, and also Anywhere But Here. Could you tell me a little bit about what you do on both of those podcasts? 
Sure. Um, I mean, I've been podcasting the Anywhere But Here one is just me and a friend of mine who were in a band together years ago. We stopped doing the band um, and then we decided, you know, we've got all these microphones and mixing desks and recording equipment. So why not let's uh, join in with uh, what was at the time quite a small uh, niche hobby to have in podcasting. Um, it's the te- it's the regular two guys having a conversation, trying to make sense of the world type podcast. Um, and then after a couple of years of that, I thought, well, I kind of want to do my own um, my own thing, my own kind of get get my own uh, journalistic juices going, and. Uh, uh, create my own my own kind of documentary series which is what band biographies eventually turned into but it took the pandemic to happen for yeah. that to uh to actually be realized <laughs> i'm sure much like uh much like yours perhaps oh yeah uh and yeah band biographies i started out doing um uh documentaries on specific bands they're mainly uk based punk bands but i want to eventually expand beyond that once i've got to a certain point uh of covering a certain number of bands i've got a kind of number in mind um before i start jumping over to maybe us and maybe look at other genres as well so um yeah also the band biographies thing it's double n it's b a double n e d which is kind of it, it works written down but it doesn't work very well in an audio format which <laughs> i found out um should post possibly have thought about that a little bit uh, harder before going with it as a name but i quite like it so uh what what are some of those uk punk bands uh, anything that uh anybody over here in the states would know I would hope so. Um, Some of them are a little bit more niche, like the slits. um, Okay, yeah, uh, I know. But also I've covered, you know, the big hitters like the Sex Pistols and the Damned, Susie and the Banshees, uh, Adam and the Ants, and then Mm -hmm. Adam Ants' subsequent solo career. Um, And uh, Generation X, which was Billy Idol's original band, and then I went into his solo career as well. I'm sure there must be more. The Undertones and Stiff Little Fingers was the most mm-hmm. recent one that I put out. Um, oh, Stiff Little Fingers. And then, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then in between those, uh, you know, I've started doing interview-based episodes with uh, musicians and record label uh, heads and just about to release one. It will have been released by the time this comes out with uh, a radio presenter over here as well. So trying to build up um, a little bit of things because after the lockdown, I went back to work and then didn't have enough time to devote solely to the documentaries, which take a long time to put together. So I figured, uh, yeah, start interviewing people. That's a cheap, nice, (laughs) easy way to get an episode out once a month without expending too much energy. So yeah, that's where we're ended up now. It's a kind of hybrid show. Awesome. Well, Daft Punk used to be, part of a punk band uh darlin did so i i'm not familiar with their work though with with darlin i haven't i haven't ever listened to anything but it's difficult to find i think i've yeah. uh I've, I've not looked in recent years since like since spotify and whatever i don't know whether there's anything out there but um yeah for all those years i knew they'd been in a kind of indie punk band but had never heard anything by them so i'm interested yeah well, we are gathered here to talk about one of the most well-known albums in electronic music history, Discovery by Daft Punk. 
Tom, what's your history with this group? And, and when did you first hear about them and first get into them? Any specific memory? Uh, yeah, I, um, I, I got the single, uh, the, the lead single from this album, um, which is One More Time. Uh, and that, that was when it came out. I think it was 2000 that came out. Um, and I absolutely loved it. It was, I've not, you know, I've got quite a wide ranging um, musical taste. So like at this point in time, I was into um, a kind of quite a heavy uh, love affair with EDM artists and uh, especially kind of the harder edge stuff like the Prodigy um, and some of the harder dance and trance stuff that was going around at the time, um, like Sandstorm by Darude and uh, all that kind of high energy stuff. <clears throat> When this came out, though, it was it was different. It struck me as being much more melodic, almost in a kind of in a band way. It sounded like it was kind of disco as well as dance. So it had that and also the kind of robotic vocals over the top. I thought it really stood out. Um, yeah, absolutely love that single. And then as soon as the album came out, I bought that. And uh, just the visual style of it, just sit there sitting on the, I can see it in the back of the, uh, of the picture here in your room. Yeah. Just the, the visual style of the artwork, just, uh, I thought it just, it just jumped out at you. It pops out at you and it's, uh, yeah, they're an amazing act. Yeah. What so about was, yourself? Well, I was going to ask, um, this was my introduction as well, this album, or no, sorry, it wasn't this album. It was Homework. I was going to ask you if you were aware of Homework before uh this I think album i'd heard i'd heard around the world mm-hmm. um but i wasn't <clears throat> i didn't realize that there was maybe an album out this was the first time i realized that this was you know a lot of dance acts generally i don't know whether it's the same over there but certainly a lot of the way that you were um exposed to dance music over here in edm was through compilation albums and quite a lot of the time, these DJs only bring out like one single or, you know, they only have the one big hit. They don't tend to put out albums so much, or at least you could only get them in the specialist vinyl shops anyway, when I was younger. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, so yeah, I, I was aware of around the world, um, but it took me until 2000 to kind of properly get on board with them. Well, so I, I wasn't listening to them because around the world came out and I think, was it 97? I'm pretty sure it was 97 yeah, when, when so. homework came out. That was my introduction to them, but I heard it in the 2000s. So I just remember, okay. I just remember in the, the early 2000s, just people talking about them, this kind of word of mouth that I heard about Daft Punk. And then I listened to around the world and I really liked it, but I think I really liked the funk and uh, mm-hmm. songs like that. So I bought homework first and then I got discovery. And I just remember finding the beats to be really catchy and warm. And there was a sense of like nostalgia in the music that I could experience through them because that that's kind of what this album is about. It has a lot to do with that in general. Um, but yeah, it was just, I just remember it being like really cool, fun, dancey, catchy music. And like, I was mm-hmm. listening to a lot of in high school, I was listening to a lot of heavy metal and punk and, than goth music and so i wasn't like really into the electronic scene like i was into more the industrial scene which kind of has crossovers and then and then the um dark wave scene and and stuff like that uh and so 
I was able to appreciate Daft Punk because it was kind of the opposite of what I was listening to. It was a lot more mm. uh, upbeat and uh, not so depressing and, and everything. So, um, but yeah, it, so that's kind of how I got into the group. Mm. I completely agree. Like uplifting is one of the words that I've used quite a few times in my notes. Yeah. Like the, the, and the album as a whole, I think is, is it's a real kind of up album, you know? Yeah. Um, and also it was the other thing that uh, that attracted me to the band as well, or the act, is that the the whole dressing as robots thing. Um, right. <laughs> it really kind of talked to the part of me that's a massive sci-fi nerd. Because um, I think it's on this album that they started doing that. They didn't have those personas on homework. Right. Um, it is. It is. on. They started to do it for this album. I had no idea that they were dressing up as robots until actually fairly like i think it was around the time they released random access memories or maybe a little mm-hmm. bit before that when they started to become more uh like in the limelight they seemed to come out more like after mm-hmm. after this album and then when especially when random access memories came out because that was such a big pop you know sensation and everything and and so i just remember uh just being like oh that's cool i never knew that they really dressed up like that so mm-hmm. i wasn't I wasn't like really into Daft Punk in their prime. I would say like when Discovery came out, I had heard some of the songs, but it was probably a few years after that that I kind of got into them more. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, did, were you were you aware of their robot gimmick pretty much from the start uh, or no? Yeah, well, weirdly for this album, I think, again, it was a bit like you. It was after the album or while they were promoting the album, certainly if they were making appearances anywhere. Um, because I know that they were at the Grammys with this album, I believe, and they turned up in the whole robot suits and stuff. Um, but because the videos to this album, it's all the uh, the the anime um, mm-hmm. science fiction film, isn't it? The Interstellar 5555 yeah. um, uh, thing. So there were no, there wasn't an inkling in the videos that they were wearing that stuff. But yeah, I'd seen them in kind of magazine interviews and, uh, and like I say, public appearances and things that I'd seen on the, on the TV. Um, but yeah, it really kind of spoke to me. Apparently they released, uh, they released a press release with this one saying that um, they were working on their studio at 9.09 a.m. on the 9th of September, 1999, when their sampler exploded. They had to undergo (laughs) reconstructive surgery. And when they regained consciousness, they realized that they'd become robots. And um, yeah, all all this stuff together. I think it was also they'd they'd launched their uh, Daft Hub website as well. And there were a lot of images and things on there too. So um that was probably where i was getting a lot of uh of of my kind of visual cues for that but yeah like that plus the anime film yeah really kind of spoke to what exactly what i was into at the time in this kind of sci-fi and anime world yeah well the the robot thing is funny because obviously the whole accident thing was a joke but it was largely this Mm. whole thing was largely keep their private lives separate Mm. and very uh, clever very clever i mean other bands have artists have done it before but they managed to keep it that way you know kiss eventually took the makeup off uh Mm. slipknot eventually took off the masks uh you know these guys as far as i know haven't really taken off the helmets have they 
No, you can find images of them from their previous incarnation in the in the band where they had right. kind of long hair and stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know that there's that many pictures, if any, out there from like beyond the end of the 90s. Right. So uh, really clever. And and Thomas, I hope this is how you pronounce it. Bangalter? Bang, mm, that's Bangalter? What, yeah. Okay. Bangalter. Bangalter. He said, I don't quote, know. He said, quote, we don't believe in the star system. We want the focus to be on the music. If we have to create an image, it must be an artificial image. That combination hides our physicality, but also shows our view of the star system. It is not a compromise. We are trying to separate the private side and the public side. And mm-hmm. Guy added, we're not performers. We're not models. It would not be enjoyable for humanity to see our features, but the robots <laughs> are exciting to people. <laughs> <laughs> so i that's interesting i some you kind of wonder though like they want the focus to be on the music but i doesn't the robot image kind of distract from the music too i mean a little bit this or... is what i've always this is what i've always thought about bands that do this i mean slipknot said almost exactly the same thing when they came out for example but you know it's not about us as individuals it's about the music and then you think well but would people be as attracted to the music if it weren't also for the image? Like the right. image is a massive part of both Slipknot and Daft, Daft Punk's thing, really. It's their yeah. shtick almost, you know? Yeah. But it drew people like yourself in. Kids were mm. definitely drawn into it. I mean, so that is an appeal. Like kids are going to, younger people are going to pay more attention if you're wearing mm. an out there kind of costume. And so, mm. I mean, that's why Kiss had that Kiss Army. I mean, it was just massive. I mean, they they created a whole group of people, a fan base that just loved them because of their image and mm. the show, not necessarily because of the music, although they liked the music maybe too. But if Kiss, when Kiss takes the makeup off, it's like, oh, okay, you know, it's regular dudes. <laughs> it's regular dudes, right? A, a good a good example right now is the is the band ghost where Mm. it's like you have, I mean, the music, I'm a big fan. The music I think is better than say a band like kiss. Although I have a guilty pleasure thing with kiss, but, um, but yeah, the image people are drawn to the image of this guy going out there dressed as a evil Bishop, you know, and, and having a bunch of guys wearing plague doctor masks and everything. It is. Yeah. Cool. There's like good Mm. harmonious music and melody and everything but come on if he was just out there playing that music without wearing that costume yeah you know would it be the same so i don't know it's funny that they were like hey let's focus on the music but they're wearing these robot outfits but mm. um but it but was the interesting a- thing is as well there were no promotional videos that showed them for this album so why were they doing it because <laughs> they were only they were only right. doing it live i assume you know yeah so yeah yeah so- <laughs> But just a few things about this album before we kind of dive into the the recording, the background of it. So, so this was released actually on my birthday, March 12, oh, wow. uh, 2001. And uh, we already mentioned the band members, but the band members of Daft Punk are Thomas Bengalter. And I'm going to call him Guy from... For, yeah. from now on but Guy Manuel de Homem Cristo I don't know that's probably way off way off but they're uh but they're from France duh and uh this album was largely inspired by anime and a lot of the music they grew up on so there's a lot of their childhood in this album 
And uh, it was an album where they took their sound to new heights. I think Homework was a little more standard electronic music, whereas Discovery had a lot of elements like disco, pop, rock, you know, even. And, and a lot of the samples the band members played on instruments themselves. So and we'll get into that later. But uh, yeah, really influential album. And electronic music before this was a lot less accessible, I would say, less mm. pop elements and and you know, now look at EDM music. It owes a lot to this this album. And uh, definitely. And yeah, super influential. Sold over two million copies and was listed on Rolling Stone's 500 greatest albums of all time list. And of course, you mentioned the video. So the album led to an animated film called Interstellar 555545, uh, the story of the secret star system. And uh, more on that later. But uh, yeah, it, we're also at an interesting point. It's uh, this out, this uh, episode's coming out in February. They broke up last year, about a year ago today. And it was, you know, I, I think I remember it being kind of a shock. At least I was kind of shocked by it. But they, they hadn't done anything for a while. Uh, what what were your thoughts when you heard that they broke up? Were you kind of shocked or was it kind of, did you see it coming? No, it came completely out of the blue, didn't it? Because they just yeah. had this massive, massive album with random access memories with Nile Rogers and Pharrell on it, you know, as well as uh, all the other, you know, amazing artists that they, they managed to attract to that one. And um, yeah, it just seemed, it almost seems like they got to the peak of their powers, thought that maybe that was, you know, the zenith and everything from there might have been downhill. Perhaps they want to work on other things because they're both very um, successful producers in their own right as uh, as kind of solo um, DJs. Um, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they, you know, if they're continuing just behind the scenes, I would imagine they are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it came massively out of the blue and I I was disappointed because I thought, you know, it was such a massive style shift um, towards yeah. uh, really like live instrumentation and stuff, properly live instrumentation as well. Um, that I just thought, well, maybe this is maybe this is the start of a whole new part of their career, and then their career ended. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Did you ever get a chance to see them live? I didn't. No. No. Um, and that was another thing. You know that I'd really have loved to have done because their live, um, their live shows look insane. You were saying about the, um, the, the impact that their music had on dance music in general, but the live show part of, they, they pioneered that massive stage show. You know, they had a big pyramid that they used to, they had their decks on top of, and it would just, the whole pyramid would light up and you wouldn't have artists like, I guess, Steve Aoki, or um, Skrillex mm -hmm. having their giant light shows. I don't think if it weren't for Daft Punk, they originated that seemingly yeah. to me anyway. Yeah. Do you see them ever getting back together, like forming? Do you think this is really it? Because a lot of bands say this is it, and then they come <laughs> back. Yeah. I mean, is this what do you what do you get from it? Is it is the impression that it's done for for good, or what do you think? Usually I would say never say never, but one of them literally got blown up. Like the oh, robot no right. longer exists. Like they, they, you know, they self-destructed, didn't they? So I don't know. 
to me that seems like a that seems like a pretty in their mythology because their whole thing is like they are robots they're not um Gee and Toma they right. are the robots like so if they've blown themselves up I don't know unless of course we're talking nanobots or like the liquid terminator and yeah. they can <laughs> but I'm going way too out on the sci-fi tangent there <laughs> that's okay we want that we want that I yeah I don't know I just I say never say never because I've seen too many bands say this is it we're never gonna record again we're never gonna tour again we're never gonna be together again and then it's like two or three years later they're like hey we're going on tour again and motley crews the eagles <laughs> motley yeah. crew kiss uh black mm. sabbath uh led zeppelin even has said they're done and then they reform and do something or you know so mm. rage against the machine has said this and uh, yeah. now they're on tour and i'm supposed to see them if they ever decide to stop canceling and postponing their shows <laughs> but um but yeah, like they, I was supposed to see them literally this April and they postponed it again. The second time, yeah. this is the second time they've done that. Or no, third time. This is the third time they've done it. All because at of- least shows seem to be happening in America. They're not really happening large scale over here at the moment. It's, uh, yeah, really yeah. frustrating, but even more frustrating that uh that they cancel but rage against the machine put on a good show you'll enjoy that when you do get to finally see them hopefully unless they decide actually you know what forget it we're we're bored <laughs> we're we're angry again at each other we'll see but um but yeah i say never say never but mm-hmm. um well just overall though i think discovery was taking their electronic music but adding in more depth more instrumentals and or more instrumentation and packing it with this warm heartfelt nostalgia and we mentioned it being upbeat and I think it's, I think it might be the most positive album I've done on the show so far. Uh, I, it, it made electronic music, at least in the mainstream sound more upbeat and less robotic, which is ironic considering they were (laughs) dressing up like robots, but I just think it made it more palatable overall for a lot of people who weren't really into that whole scene. And uh, they're one of those groups. and, And this is the album I think that, that was able to bridge that a bridge a gap you know they were able to bring a lot of people over who Mm. were just not into the scene you know and uh, i was one of those people so definitely and i think you know um as i say i was into the kind of because i was a i was a punk and metal kid as well and the the dance music that i was listening to was very kind of aggressive at the same time like it was that really kind of hard trance music and rave kind of um, rave rave culture stuff um so yeah this would have been probably the first i'm trying to look at my uh, cd collection now it probably one of the first certainly the most mellow um act that i'd been into for a few years i mean this hit i i turned 16 two weeks or three weeks before this album was released so it's that perfect age of like being super into something you know it imprints itself i think everything that you listen to between the age of maybe 14 and 18 they're the albums that stay with you for life like Mm. other things can come and go from the other the other ends of your life but i think that age is where your brain is plastic enough that like whatever you're listening to or watching at the time is really kind of powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly this album out of all their albums um, with possibly the exception of random access memories, this album is by far, 
I think their their best work. Yeah, um, right. and also I mean the other thing they did mixing um, kind of Chicago house with funk and soul and disco was creating a whole almost a whole new genre in itself which became known as french house right like you had um you had acts like le rhythm digital and justice mm-hmm. and even madonna produced right. an album that was very much influenced by daft punk sound yeah yeah justice is a i love justice and i, yeah, I really great. their first album is i i would love to do do that on the show mm. so if you're if you're it's interested brilliant. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i i'll talk about any kind of music man. <laughs> so i yeah i think uh going back to what you said about how 14 to 16 is kind of those years where it sticks with you this album you know one of the themes that we'll be talking about a lot is nostalgia and nostalgia can be a, a great thing it can also be a dangerous thing because mm-hmm. uh something that you might think was really good might actually suck Right. And so like for me, I know like there there are bands that I will look back on with a certain love for and other people who are older than me or even younger than me are like, you like this band. This band is awful. Like this band, this is this is terrible. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But I listened to it when I was 14 or 15. And so it's it's burned in my memory. It's like part of me. It's I can't help but like it, you know, and I'm talking about a lot of those new metal bands that when I was growing up, that was the dominant metal at the time. Mm. That was what was hitting the radios and that was on MTV and, and in, in a lot of the soundtracks of the time, like if you bought this, the matrix soundtrack or the resident evil soundtrack, yes. those were the songs that were going to be on there. Yeah. So it was like, I can't help it. Um, mm. And same with movies. Like there are movies like from like the early nineties that I, I know, you you watch them and it's like is it a good movie? Eh, you know is a uh, is Robin Hood Prince of Thieves with uh, Kevin Costner <laughs> speaking in an American accent as Robin Hood is that a good movie? From an outsider's perspective, probably not. But from my perspective, it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Definitely is. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. I've found that so many times. You know, with things like even Clerks, for example, I I was obsessed with like Kevin Smith and his little kind of viewer universe movies. Um, but I have shown them to people previously or since who um, didn't grow up with those. And they're like, this is just lots of people swearing in black and white for no reason. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, just, you know, the, the whole, you know, uh, yeah, dick and fart jokes and stuff like that. It's just, uh, it's not for everyone, but it's, right. uh, it's a major part of what made me. And equally it, it ties into the new metal and pop punk thing that was really really exploding at the time because again one of my one of the first bands that i majorly got into was blink 182 oh yeah yeah and they're like uh they're just a comedy show or were a comedy show on stage you know uh, doing the same kind of comedy material that i was watching in those kevin smith movies really and it's uh yeah it's hard to justify it to people who aren't fans and uh have slightly more sophisticated taste in music i guess <laughs> i guess but you know what there is a sophistication even a blink 182 there there's some <laughs> level of it like hey how can they how can they write those songs like if if you're able to write mm. songs like that and get people to really love them and 
they stand the test of time. I mean, they're not a one hit wonder or they're not a band that was only popular for like one decade. And now they're not popular anymore. True. You know, sure. But uh, hey, they're a band that's never going to be hated. Like they're always mm. going to be listened to. And and so, hey, they're, that's uh, to me that uh, that matters most. So, but, but Daft Punk uh, Discovery, the album was recorded from 1998 to 2000 so it took a while to record this and i guess it was recorded in 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 ben galter's house aka the daft house in paris they have a, a studio there is everything daft like is daft this daft that is that their you know let's get in must the daft car yeah. yeah it must be their thing <laughs> uh but Ben Galter said that homework inspired a lot of artists to sort of copy its sound. So they wanted to go in a completely different direction with discovery. And yeah, you compare those two albums and they're very different. Like they're mm. they're like, it's almost like you're listening to a whole different group. Uh, there, there are some mm. songs on discovery that you can say would fit on homework, but for the most part, it, yeah, it's two very different, different albums, but but yeah, it's a lot more polished by the yes. set. Like I, I remember, like because obviously this was the first album that I bought for them. I went back and bought Homework, and it's a lot more kind of raw. Um, and yeah, I just think Discovery because of it's got that disco quality to it. A lot of the disco samples that they use, and the fact that they then reproduced samples that you know were supposed to sound like samples but weren't really samples they had to produce them to sound like old school disco tracks and all those old school disco tracks are so well produced. So yeah. it had to, they had to up their game, you know? Right. So, yeah. Uh, Guy said that with every album release, they got major pushback from certain media outlets and some fans. He said, even with homework, it was like you sold out to a major company. So you are not underground anymore. With Discovery, they said we made bubblegum music that sounds like Super Tramp. I mean, I I don't know. I didn't I wasn't aware of the backlash, but I guess like some purists, electronic music purists didn't like Discovery, thought it was too poppy, too, too, too happy, too uh like basically all the reasons I said I liked it. It was too accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh, I guess with certain media outlets, they just said it was kind of like, I don't know, just too, yeah, pop oriented, too, too bubblegummy. So, yeah, you find this, though. I mean, what, what I've found through looking back through old archives of like Sounds Magazine or NME or whatever for the documentaries that I do, all these music journalists love these bands first albums and then right. once they slightly change their style into a slightly more sophisticated or new wave approach rather than punk, they all kind of go, oh, well, we can write them off. Like they're, yeah. they're, they've sold out. They're not, they're no longer underground. And it happens all, it happens in all genres. It happens at all, you know, I mean, it go right back to Dylan going electric, you know, mm-hmm. like there's always haters. They always love that first album and they want them to remain that way, but you can't. Yeah, there's always there's always haters and there's also the the media outlets that hate the band from the get go. And then decades later, they're like, actually, no, we really like them. 
I'm talking about Rolling Stone because like they're notorious for going back and rewriting their history and saying like, oh, no, we love Led Zeppelin. We always loved Led Zeppelin. And it's like, really? Then how come you gave their first four albums terrible reviews? You know, it's it's really interesting. Uh, Speaking of Rolling Stone, though, they have this album on their list of 500 greatest albums of all time. Mm. But other critics didn't necessarily agree. So here's a journalist from The Guardian. He said, quote, Daft Punk's specialty is rehabilitating ideas long considered long consigned to the dustbin of history. Uh, There were complaints that it was trying to bring back disco, which is ironic because now every pop star is doing that. Uh, Oh, Pitchfork. Here we go. Pitchfork's founder gave it a 6.4 out of 10 rating and said it was an unwanted Franken-baby of prog and disco music, and said, this beast, however grotesque, is relatively harmless. Okay. Um, so just some of the negative stuff I found. Uh, Pitchfork, of course, lovely. Um, but to, to counter all these negative reviews, I found other artists who came out and spoke highly of it. And, and one of the, the biggest supporters has been uh, Porter Robinson, who was was greatly inspired by this record. And he said, the critical reviews of Discovery are the best shorthand reference I have to why music criticism isn't really worth getting worked up about. Every negative review of Discovery has aged about a million times worse than the album, which is so good. And then uh, Kevin Parker of Tame Impala, he also added that he loves the album due to its timelessness. He said, timelessness is a quality that I care a lot about when I'm making music and Daft Punk's ingredients just sound old and futuristic at the same time. So it, these guys, these are artists who are really popular today and they're showing that Daft Punk, this album really inspired them to create the music that they create today. And I'm Mm. not sure if they were into the hardcore stuff, but, but there's more hardcore electronic fans um, who also like this album so Evan mm. Mast from uh, Ratatat said, I was listening to a lot more abstract electronic music intended to steer clear of dance music before Discovery. But Daft Punk was proof to me that dance music could go further and be experimental. So, you know, I, I also don't think a lot of these critics got that this album was supposed to feel happier. It was supposed to feel more innocent, you know? Mm. So, I mean, it was hearkening back to their childhood. So the music that inspired them and how they remember it, that's what they were trying to kind of get through on this. And so I think a lot of these critics missed the point of the album. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right there. And, and the fact that, you know, artists from Kanye West through to Wiley and uh, Pomplamoose, I always thought it was Pomplamoose, but it's Pomplamoose, who are a oh. kind of d- acoustic duo, have covered their songs or sampled their songs in some way. And that's, you know, from, I mean, when did Graduation come out? Uh, Kanye West with the uh, Harder, Faster, uh, Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger. That's 2007, was it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's almost a generation after yeah. The album came out, you know, if you're counting a generation as a decade, yeah. there's, um, you know, a whole generation of artists that were inspired, like you say. And even the fact that they literally sample parts of those songs to use in, in other songs later down the line just means that they're still fresh enough to be considered worthy. Right. 
Right. Well, it's not just Daft Punk, though. I think critics in general, especially the more mainstream ones, they don't really seem to care about electronic music for some reason. Like electronic music has kind of always been kind of pushed aside, I think. And uh, I was, I don't know, why do you think that is? I get the impression that uh, a lot of music critics prefer... I, I get the impression that a lot of music critics are probably frustrated musicians themselves. And, <laughs> um, and especially in publications like the Rolling Stone, where rock music is the predominant thing that they're interested in. Uh, I know a lot of, <clears throat> I know a lot of musicians that play guitar to this day who still think that electronic music is cheating in some way. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and uh, unless you're playing a guitar or a piano or, but not even piano, lots of people seem to think that guitar is the ultimate, you know, it's the only uh, the way that you should be playing songs. Um, it's, it's quite backwards looking to me because actually to me as a, as a kind of, you know, I've, I play bass is my uh, weapon of choice, but I don't understand how electronic music is really made. And to me, it's kind of alchemy and magic. It's, yeah. In my from my point of view, it's much more of a complex art form than rock rock music is for certain. <laughs> sure, I mean it's a whole different animal. It's uh, you're doing very very different things. I've seen people try to explain it to me before, and they show me the programs that they use and everything, and I'm like wow, I would need a manual to understand this. And I, would, I wouldn't want to read it either. So I wouldn't ever really understand it until I was actually in there messing around with stuff. That's how I, I kind mm-hmm. of learn it. But, but yeah, it's, it's more complicated than just, oh, auto-tune, let's go. You know, that's, I think that's kind of the stereotype of electronic music is it's just some guy pushing record and said having settings that make him sound incredible. And then he just plays and then it sounds flawless. And then he puts it out. That's not, there's so much more to it than that. And these guys were doing a lot of different things. They were actually playing. We'll get into it more when we talk about the songs in general, but they were playing instruments. Like they weren't just uh, uh, simulating instruments. They Mm -hmm. were actually playing instruments and, and a lot Mm -hmm. of their samples. So no, there's a, but I, but I do think you're right that they, they think it's cheating uh, because it's not, you know, you're not literally, you know, writing a song on the guitar or, you know, with a band in a studio hashing it out, you know? Uh, mm. So, yeah, I think, it, I think it, you're right. It, it can't be, re- <clears throat> it can't be reduced to just one person and an acoustic guitar. I think right. that's uh, the other thing as well. It's not pure enough. Right. Um, which of course is rubbish. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think the other thing too, I just kind of thought of this is electronic music has often been associated with clubbing and partying. Mm. And mm. that's kind of, I think another stereotype is, is just for people who like to go party and, and the music mm. isn't the focus. It's just the beat. And it's like, well, that's, that might be true for some people and some artists, but not, not Daft Punk and definitely not for the genre as a whole. And, uh, mm. but yeah. I mean, again, they, they completely revolutionized EDM's kind of visual language anyway. They turned dance music into a legitimate arena or stadium event. So 
it's completely wrong. <laughs> it is wrong. And also t- rock music is like one of the ultimate forms of party music. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you're going to tell me that ACDC is not a party rock band. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, Kiss isn't a party rock band. Uh, you know, no, they are. They absolutely mm-hmm. are. So yeah, it's, uh, it's all wrong, but mm-hmm. anyways, we'll let them be wrong. So, um, but the album is sort of a concept album focusing on their childhood, but with the movie, with the interstellar five, 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 there's, <laughs> I gotta make sure you got my fives, right? There always seems to be one more than you think. <laughs> right. Or sometimes I just want to say five, five, five because of six, 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 five, 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 you know, I'm just like, okay. But, uh, that movie, I watched it again the other day and it is, uh, it's telling a story, right? But it's not mm-hmm. really, there's no obviously dialogue. It's all the music. Um, yeah. But but no, the album is kind of a concept. And, and Bengalter said that it's less of a tribute to the music from 1975 to 1985 as an era and more about focusing on the time when we were zero to 10 years old. When you're a child, you don't judge or analyze music. You just like it because you like it. You're not concerned mm-hmm. with whether it's cool or not. So it's kind of like, a concept record focusing on their childhood, but also it's got this weird alien anime video to go with it. Um, yeah. What's going on with the anime? <laughs> well, they, they were fans of that kind of thing growing up, weren't they? And the, um, the animator, uh, Leiji Matsumoto, um, he produced one of the animes that they both were a big fan of um, back in the day. And I don't have it in my notes, but I'll be able to find it somewhere, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so uh, they were aware of his work anyway. And again, it comes back to the fact that the whole album is um, uh, a part of their youth and the cartoon that he produced when they were growing up was called captain harlock which is not one that i'm familiar with yeah um but uh yeah i suppose at the time they must have had enough steam behind them to uh to be popular enough in japan perhaps Mm -hmm. uh for their record company to get in in contact with matsumoto and ask him to collaborate with them on this uh on this on this film because it's not a collection of videos, really. It is a whole film in itself, isn't it? But like you right. say, there's no, there's no, ver- there's no dialogue in it, so it's difficult to, yeah, it's difficult to kind of quantify it, really. Yeah, but, um, I, yeah. I also don't really know what's going on all the time no. in the movie, but uh, <laughs> it's cool. Like the songs do seem to fit with what's going on visually. But I was just gonna add that the, the late '90s and the early 2000s was a really cool time for like music videos and everything and, and bands having cartoonish gimmicks because like it was, it was pretty popular. I mean, a lot of bands were using animation and their music videos and a lot of artists were even sometimes just completely fictional uh, like gorillas, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, but it was really cool. And you know, gorillas and Daft Punk corn uh, was using animation, the white stripes. They did, they did that one video where it was like all animated Radiohead, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of artists started doing that more, and that was a big draw for a lot of people. And I guess that's what uh, that's what got Skrillex into Daft Punk. He said that he was sitting in his room with some friends, and he saw one more time the music video come on, and he was just obsessed with it. He was obsessed with the little alien party, 
And so, yeah, it's just, you know, that was a big visual and a big draw for a lot of people to get into mm-hmm. the band. So these guys were good at marketing. <laughs> and I, I think it comes down to the point that, you know, they were saying where the music is supposed to uh, be about not necessarily the music, but the whole feeling, everything that they were into, whether it was good or not. Um and the fact of the matter is they're watching these cartoons. All these cartoons are dubbed from Japanese or Korean into English anyway. So sometimes they don't really make sense, regardless of whether there's a, whether there's a, 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 a talk track on them or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it kind of, and again, it's, it's like, it, it, it's, a, it's a cool little story. It doesn't really... It doesn't make a lot of sense, but there's something about it that really is quite visually appealing, like you say. Right. Because um, the original idea apparently was that all of the all of the tracks on the album were going to be released as singles so that people got to see, even the people who didn't buy the DVD or the video of uh, Interstellar 5555, um, they could see the entire story on MTV or whatever, if they were watching throughout the year as the singles were released, but um, Virgin records saw sense, I think. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Held them back from that. Yeah. By the way, I think you missed a five. Did you? <laughs> Did I? Five, I don't five, know. Five, five, five. I don't know. There you go. There you go. Five, 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 five. There you go. Four. Um, <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about the tracks here and, and we're going to do the categories so what I'm going to do is just name the category and all, all we're going to do is name the song that we picked. We'll get into the songs more in depth after we do the categories, but let's, uh, okay. let's start with favorite song. What is your favorite song? Uh, my favorite song off the album is harder, better, faster, stronger. Nice. It's one of my favorite of their songs anyway, and probably in my top 10 songs of all time. I love oh, wow. it. Yeah. Mine is face to face. It is it's one of my favorite songs and it's one of those that I didn't hear all the time on the radio. So, uh, it, yeah, I love that one. What is a song that you want to hear in a club? If you go into a club and you want to dance, I don't know if you do that. I'm, I'm sort of like not really a club guy. It depends on the club, but, um, what's a song though, that you'd want to hear in a club from this album? Yeah. I was much more into kind of indie clubs and rock clubs when I was younger, uh, less so these days bit past that now but yeah. uh certainly listening to the album with slightly fresher ears this time around uh i would love to hear superheroes just because that bass is insane 100 <laughs> percent. that was mine as well superheroes <laughs> great great club pick uh yeah. what is a song that feels like it's on a different album or a song that would you would say is the most different from the others um I put down that Night Vision is the song that fits this, but mainly because it's more of a kind of ambient piece between two songs. It's not really a song in its own right um, between crescendos and superheroes. Yeah. It kind of calms things down again before you get head into superheroes. Um, And it just doesn't have the complexity of the other songs. Um, The other one that I was going to put in there was Veridis Quo as well. I I also had... I had night vision as well because yeah. yeah, it's just very, very different from the rest. Mm. What is, this is a hard one. I found what is the most upbeat song? Which one is the one that's just the most positive? Yeah. This one changed a number of times while I was listening to it in the last few days. 
um because it's literally been all, all i've listened to for about three or four days straight now uh but i eventually went with crescendos oh. just because it sounds like a kid's tv show theme tune <laughs> <laughs> i could see that i could see that i had one more time just because mm. i i don't know that song always puts me in a good mood and you yeah. know it's uh i just find it to be really happy okay this this is actually the hardest one because for most of these albums there's not really a skippable song but we have to pick one so what is the skippable song for you uh for me the skippable song is too long i'm afraid Mm. and it is literally because of the length of it like it it lives up to its name um however since i've been listening to it recently i actually quite like the song and i've not been noticing the fact that it's it's too long um but that is the one that i've skipped most often just because of the length of it really that yeah that's an interesting one because it also comes at the end of the album so it's like you're Mm. either you're either just gonna turn the album off or or what so i i didn't put it there although i thought about it Mm -hmm. i had something about us because something about us well we'll get into the song more in detail but it just was uh since it happens a little earlier in the album, it's easier to skip it than too long is. Mm. So by the time too long is on, it's like, well, the album's almost over. I'll just, you know, listen to this, but not, none of these songs are bad or anything. It's just, no. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about each one more in depth, but that was the skippable song for me. Mm. Uh, what's the most robotic song in your opinion? <laughs> Again, quite a difficult one with this band. Right. But, um, I think Digital Love stands out as being the most robotic to me just because the vocoder um, mm-hmm. effects and also the musical arrangement sounds much more choppy as well. Yeah. So for me, that was the one. I had Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger. Just yep. has that, that makes sense as well. You know, yeah, robot sound. Mm. And then what would you say is an underrated song on the album? <laughs> Uh, yeah, this was a tough one because I do like all the songs on the album myself. So what I did is I went over to Spotify to see which ones uh, which ones were the least streamed. Um, and I didn't go for the least streamed one because I kind of got it. But I think the most underrated one might actually be Crescendos. Oh. Um, it's the ninth least streamed song on a 14-song album. But for me, it's got more of a more of a something to it than the ones that are below it. If that makes any kind of sense. Yeah. Um, like the ones that are below it, I think, you know, stuff like night vision, it's not really a song. So I can see why people don't um, listen to it. And the same with too long. It's too long to listen to the whole thing all the way through. So that's quite low, but I think crescendos uh, could do with a little bit more love personally. So I had two that I was trying to decide between and not because I don't, I think these are popular. I just don't think they're as popular as their biggest hits, but I had high life or Voyager because they're, they're songs that I think people like and they play them. Mm. I don't hear them get the attention that like one more time and aerodynamic and digital love and uh, harder, better, mm. faster, stronger yet. So yeah, High Life was one of the ones that I was going to do out of the major kind of uh, what I consider the more major ones on the album are. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Well, let's let's get into each one. So the album starts off with One More Time, which is a great opening song. And 
you know, it starts the album off so well. My pick for the most upbeat song, so carefree, fun, talking about celebrating, dancing. It's just a really positive song and it's really catchy. It's just that beat is really hard to forget and it's impossible at least for me to not the so I'm not much of a dancer but at the very least I can nod my head to this. I think it's impossible to not at least do that, to nod your head or move yeah. somehow. I mean, you can move in your chair. That's dancing. So yeah. Um, it's an incredible song and such a great opener like you say. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's certainly one of the strongest songs on the whole album, and 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 it's it's easily the most um, uh, the most the one that sold the most, the one that is played most. I think off this album, whenever you do hear things on the radio or MTV or whatever, yeah, yeah, it's definitely the one I think I've heard the most off the album. That and I think "Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger" are the two that I've heard probably the most from them on this album, mm-hmm. but. This is also one of the first songs that they completed back in 1998. So there were, you know, three years before this album was released that they had this floating around. And uh, the guy singing on this is not a member of the band. It is Romanthony. Yeah. Who I was not familiar with. Are you familiar with him? I knew his name only because he appears on this and he also sings on too long at the end. Right. Um, but really, that's all I know about the guy. <laughs> yeah, um, he's he's one of their kind of he's he's a guy who I think he's from I think he's from America. I don't think he's French because I just assumed that a lot of the people working on this album were probably French. But uh, that's completely uh, underestimating their global reach. I think actually everyone else who worked with them on the album uh, was American in actual fact. He's um, from New Jersey. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, he passed away in uh, 2013. So, so he did. Yeah. yeah. But hmm. but he's he's got a cool voice. And, and yeah. he, he said, we thought the funkiness of his voice fit the funkiness of the music. I think, yeah, I think his voice is perfect for the song and and how it goes along with the with the beats and everything. And uh, yeah, I it's a really cool song. The vocals were auto-tuned, something mm-hmm. that has been criticized over the years. And uh, Ben Galter said, a lot of people complain about musicians using auto-tune. It reminds me of the late 70s when musicians in France tried to ban the synthesizer. Mm-hmm. What they didn't see was that you could use those tools in a new way instead of just replacing the instruments that came before. And then he also added, the healthy thing is that people either loved it or hated it. The worst thing is when you make art and people are not moved. So, mm. yeah, I, I don't know. Like the autotune thing, I personally don't have a problem with it. It just depends. Like, I guess I'll say it depends on how it's being used and when and what kind of music. Like if, like I'll admit when Ozzy Osbourne started to use it, I kind of got right. a little bit like, uh, like Ozzy using autotune like I mean I, I think know. the person who really highlighted the whole autotune thing and kicked off the the debate about it though was Cher wasn't she mm, really yeah With, uh, love life after love like that really took that was the first time that I really noticed autotune and how it could be used in a kind of really obvious way mm-hmm and you think again, Cher doesn't need auto-tune, but clearly it's it's the style, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Again, um, they were um 
someone criticized the length of the breakdown in the middle of uh, in the middle of one more time. It's a two minute breakdown. Um, but again, Bangalter said that the break is so long, it's not even the break. The song itself is the breakdown. Like it's it's all about style. If the song requires it, yeah, then it should be there, shouldn't it? If it didn't oh, sound yeah. right, they would have taken it out. And they're robots. Right. I don't like I don't have a like if autotune autotune is fine. I mean, it's an it's it's fine, when, especially I mean, you're talking about electronic music here, first of all, mm. and you're talking about robots. And why would you, you know, y- yeah, it's not uh, you don't need like a Freddie Mercury in there to belt out an operatic note. Right. Like it's yeah. you're talking about. Oh, that, that would have been cool, maybe to have <laughs> Freddie Mercury and Daft Punk do something. But but I just I don't know, like it. If it's done like appropriate, I don't know if appropriately is even the right word. If it's done and it fits, then it fits. If it's overused, then maybe it's overused. Like, you know, if if these teen, like, uh, I remember when Ashley Simpson had her big moment of fame um, and turns out she was not only auto-tuning, but lip syncing and all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. That's not great. And obviously she got called out for it and, I don't yeah. think her career ever really came back after that, but um, you know, if, if artists are doing it and they're kind of doing it here and there, I don't, I don't see what the problem is. Even artists that don't normally do it. It's uh, yeah. I don't have a problem with it unless it's abused. Mm, yeah. And, uh, and, and unless maybe a punk rock band started auto tuning, <laughs> then I would have maybe an issue with it but yeah exactly it's all about the style it's all about where it fits like you say if it if it fits well and it's supposed to sound like that then fine (laughs) yeah uh going into aerodynamic which is a really awesome song with this cool rock vibe uh love the guitar part the the shredding guitar there Mm. and uh i think just you know the first four tracks of this album are straight up great songs like it's a really it's just a great first four that you get in there and uh you know the rest the rest of the album's great too but those first four really hit really yeah hit it's hard. massively it is massively front loaded this album but yeah i think i don't know like the rest of the album's good anyway but yeah the first four songs on this album are absolutely incredible like i think most most acts would want at least just one of those on a, on an album you know yeah so. yeah they were such massive hits as well. I mean, one more time did massive business all around the world, you know, except in the U S it didn't heart, it didn't chart as high as anywhere else uh, there for some reason, but generally it was in the top 20 all over the world. This one did slightly less well um, for some reason. I can't figure it out. Like in the UK, it got to number 97 only. We're um, talking about aerodynamic aerodynamic. Yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting uh, you bring up the US and how it didn't seem to well, you're talking about one more time didn't really yeah. do well in the US. The US is a weird market and uh like for example, I'm sure Get Lucky got really big results mm. in the US. Uh like I remember David Bowie, he throughout the seventies was not appreciated by America at all. Mm, like, I mean, mm. there were, there were definitely people buying his albums, but nowhere near like they were in the UK. And then he puts out let's dance and everyone in America is like, Oh, David Bowie's amazing. And it's like, 
you waited until he literally put out his most commercial poppy fans call it a sellout album yeah um they wait until he puts that out and then they're like yes david bowie rules you know so it the american market is kind of weird and also like they love but we loved led zeppelin before the uk really did the uk was kind of like meh yeah yeah you know and then and too, then, too prog <laughs> yeah and so i don't know it's weird the the whole what's mm. gonna hit uh, but you know the um the 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 common theme between let's dance and random access memories is don't you no it's nile nile rogers <laughs> oh because yeah. he produced that album as well and plays on that album and you can hear oh, right. that kind of um the kind of reggae-ish uh like disco-y funk guitars in that it's all nile rogers that's the that's the ingredient. If you there want success is. in America, work with Nile Rogers. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but no, the aer- aerodynamic. I love the the guitar and and uh, the the rock theme is so evident throughout. And mm. Ben Galter, Ben Galter said that a lot of house music samples disco, but they wanted to bring in all kinds: rock, classical, metal, even. And this is a great example of that. And uh, that guitar solo part, Ben Galter said that some people didn't yeah. really like it. He said, yeah. uh, but he said they were trying to bring in everything they liked as kids, including that kind of guitar shredding. And so it reminds me of like a Van Halen mm-hmm. or, or ACDC on Thunderstruck, that kind of, you yeah. know, up and down, up and down the neck, you know, really cool sound. Yeah. Someone else described it as almost like Ingve Malmsteen as well, who is right. like a virtuoso kind of Swedish guitar, metal guitar guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can totally hear that. The, uh, yeah, the solo work in it is just incredible. Yeah, it's really <laughs> for a cool. dance act. Like yeah. it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't work, but it does. How do you, uh, how do you dance to that though? Like, uh, with with difficulty, lots of yeah. failing limbs. I'm not sure. <laughs> so as I say, like in the club, the rest of the song, I could see people dancing to it. Then when it gets to this part with the guitar mm. just going up and down, it's like, what are people doing? Are they just getting a drink? Are they talking? <laughs> like, are they on their phones? Well, they're probably on their phones anyways, the whole time, but um, are they? Uh, yeah. I just, what are they doing? <laughs> like I said, I think drinks are being spilled. I think the drinks are being spilled. Happening. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Digital love is the third song. Great song. Again, really fun, beautiful, upbeat, and uh, this whole album is just really good at putting you in the, a better mood. And so when I put this song on, particularly, it's really effective at making me feel good. And, you know, this is it's one of those perfect songs for that. Mostly samples the song I Love You More by George Duke, which mm. is apparent from the intro of both songs. I So what I did was I actually went back and listened to the samples, the original samples, like the music they got this stuff from. It's really cool to yeah. compare, you know. Yeah, you can kind of hear where the sample is taken from and that they've added to it to give it more in in their production, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I always, it's one of my things that I, I kind of miss um, talking as, as a person approaching a, a certain age um, <laughs> is that I used to, uh, you know, I used to buy my CDs Um and then on the bus ride home, put my, put them on my CD Walkman and uh, read through the liner notes. And my, my whole thing about bands is like, because my parents weren't into music, really, they didn't or they weren't fanatical about it. Let's put it that way. Um, 
what I had to learn to do. I didn't have an older brother or sister either. So I was, I was the one finding my music mm. and uh, mm. the way to do it was to like, look through the liner notes and see who the bands were thanking and who they'd been on tour with and that kind of thing. And then when you get into EDM and hip hop, you look at like where they're sampling from and who they're sampling and you're like, Oh, I'll go and check that out because that's got to be good. Cause they're using it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's just, it, this is something that I used to love doing is going through those liner notes and being like, right, where's this come from? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, it's cool. The, the sample is cool. The song that George Duke did is really awesome. Mm. Uh, there's another solo in here though. And, and the guitar solo and the solo part was done by using music sequencers. Ben Galter said, no one plays solos in their songs anymore, but we wanted to include some on the album. And, mm. uh, you know, this is a good example, too, where they used instruments to get a similar sound from another artist. For example, the bridge sounds a little like something you'd hear from Supertramp. And mm. Ben Galter said they didn't sample the band, but they had the same piano that they used. They were using the same exact piano that mm. was used. Um, but yeah song is supposedly about forbidden love with 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 the songs of daft punk the meanings are not as important as mm. say other artists i find like you know the there might be a background to it but it's not like you know there's some tool stuff going on here where there's like some really <laughs> philosophical like uh <laughs> uh math sequence built into the song you know like but um <laughs> I guess it comes again with uh, kind of EDM being a little bit more kind of surface level mm -hmm. than like rock music has seen to be. Um, but this was this the, the lyrics were written by another American DJ, um, DJ Sneak, mm. um, a Puerto Rican born American DJ who was one of the kind of uh, main faces on the kind of uh, Chicago house scene back in the 80s. Um, and he's uh, he's collaborated with people like Basement Jacks as well before in the past. Um, but yeah, he wrote the lyrics to this. Um, but again, whether or not there's a deeper meaning behind them, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I found that interesting because I, I didn't realize that before yeah. this week, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's just a great song. I mean, it's just a bright song and really catchy and yeah. Like I said, these mm. first four going into this next one are fantastic, which is mm. your favorite song. Harder, better, faster, stronger. Yeah. Talk I just, about I, it. I don't know what it is about this song that I love so much. I just think um, it's, I don't know. It just hit me harder than anything else on this album. And um, yeah, again, like the main kind of keyboard part is taken from uh, Edwin Birdsong's Cola Bottle Baby. Yeah. Um, which again, good fun to listen to. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they asked him for it. And they, he was like, oh, I recorded this song 30 years ago and now some guys from France are asking for it. <laughs> um, he, he asked them where they found his music and they said, oh, I was going through the bins and it popped out. <laughs> Yeah, I assume that means like the vinyl bins rather than the bins around the back of uh, right, right <laughs> of the record store. But uh, yeah, it's um, again, it, it's that kind of it's the vocoded vocals on it. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of the driving nature of the song as well. Yeah, it's 
just like nothing about it. I can't, I can't criticize anything about it at all. Um, and again, it went along with, I think it was one of the more explosive parts of the, uh, the interstellar film as well. So the video was more kind of action packed and less kind of partying in a disco, uh, element to it. Um, yeah, just well, brilliant. great song. Edwin also said, uh, just because some artists don't, aren't always thrilled when, someone samples their music or wants mm. to use it but he said I, i'm blessed that's what he said i'm mm. i'm blessed and yeah it, the cola bottle baby song is is pretty pretty catchy it's pretty catchy mm. it's kind of corny but um it's cool it's it's a good sample good beat and uh yeah this is a really funky song uh mm. really really cool song and uh and both America and the UK agreed on this because in both oh. of our dance charts, it got to number three. There so, we go. There we yeah. go. Uh, but the the vocorder thing is interesting. This is a machine that's really, really cool machine created in 1938. And it was designed to synthesize human speech to deliver messages more easily and to make them harder to intercept, probably because of the war coming up and mm. everything. And, and it was used a lot in World War II. I and, didn't know that about the vocoder. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. But uh, a lot of artists have used it, including Pink Floyd and Kraftwerk. So it's mm. been been around in music for a while. Uh, but yeah, the song is really funk, funky, <laughs> robotic, cool, cool track. Well, when you get to that vocoder um, breakdown kind of uh, solo bit where I assume it's being played on a guitar, I don't think it's being played on a synthesizer, though I suppose it could be. Yeah, because again, I have no idea how these things are made. <laughs> they're, <laughs> right, they're just magic. But it sounds to me like a guitar solo when it's going into the really kind of crazy, um, the kind of middle eight section where the vocoder vocal is the is the soloing instrument. Yeah, um, that in itself was something that I had never heard before. Like I'd heard the vocoder used by Bon Jovi on um, uh, whatever song that is. Where it starts out, bow, wow. Oh, yeah. Let's kind of do my head in. Also, the Eagles use it on a couple of songs. And also, um, uh, Stevie Wonder uses it on uh, one of his songs as well. Yeah. And so I was aware of vocoders, but I'd never, ever heard it used as a delivering a vocal while also playing a, so a blistering solo. Like it, it, it warped my mind slightly, and I don't think I've ever quite recovered from it. Are you think so? I'm not the biggest Bon Jovi guy, so there are two songs that come into my head It's My Life, or Yes, that's it. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah, there we go. It's My Life. Okay, <laughs> I was starting to sing the lyrics as you were yeah. explaining. I was like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. That's the one. <laughs> okay, we're moving on from Bon Jovi. We're uh. <laughs> going not that there's anything wrong with bon jovi if you no. like you know bon jovi's got his stuff he's got some good stuff uh, yeah crescendos is the next song and what's funny about this song is this is the name of the band the alien band from the movie interstellar five 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 so it is that's the name of the band and yeah cool it's an instrumental cool instrumental but the sample is from this uh, song called can you imagine by the imperials and uh, mm. 
I just I, I can't recommend this enough. I recommend everyone listen to the original songs that they sampled and then compare yeah. them because it's just really cool to do that. And so, you know, you because when you listen to Daft Punk, you think, oh, this is really futuristic and everything. But then you go back and listen to these songs and you're like, wow, they were making these beats and these songs in the 70s and the 80s. And it's like, whoa, OK, like Daft Punk's still futuristic sounding in many mm-hmm. ways, but they're borrowing heavily from the past. And so it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, to to hear that but um mm. but yeah i mean this is one of their more straight up repetitive kind of electronic so- songs you know but, yeah i think it's much more in line with the stuff from homework which was really kind of uh repetitive and metronomic in a way yeah but um i i like the i i really like this song just because it's a bit nuts like there's that kind of crowd noise in the background every now and then where they're chilling. Right. right. And like it just, it just, it ramps up and up. Like the, the, the chord progression is just there, 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 It's just, it's that all the time. It just drives forward. And I yeah. just, just think it's nuts. It and, is pretty uh, nuts. And, I love it. And you mentioned earlier, you could see it as a kid's uh, animated <laughs> intro, right? Theme I think song. so. And, and now I'm listening to it in my head. I'm like, yeah, I could totally see that, yeah. you know, like uh, a Power Rangers intro or something, you know, like <laughs> something like that. But, but cool, very cool song. Mm-hmm. And then it goes from crazy to smooth and ambient with Night Vision, the most different song we agreed on the album, mm. the calmest song, the smoothest song, really quite a beautiful song, uh, you know, just, yeah. Yeah, it may as well be some kind of almost jazz type interlude, you know. Um, it's very kind of, yeah, soulful. Um, and I think it's required at this point in the album. It's not quite the halfway point, but Crescendos is a crazy song. And then the next song is like super heavy. So it needed maybe something to break those two up. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether it was ever intended to be a track or whether they just needed to write a piece of, uh, like, write some material to fit in between these two songs because, you know, yeah. After the kind of ramping up of crescendos and then heading straight into that bass line from, uh, from the next song. Yeah. Possibly be too much. <laughs> I think, yeah, they might, they needed a little bit of a breather. And this is a good, this is a good example of it. it has this really cool reflective quality to it. And I sort of, honestly, I sort of think of the beach when I think of this song, it kind of has this like sunset on the beach quality to it. I don't know mm-hmm. why, but it, it kind of, I just envision waves coming in and out. It just kind of has this really soothing uh, quality to it. Mm. Well, around about the same time, I think Bang Alta was working on some kind of IB3 kind of songs. He had a big, uh, a big hit with music sounds better with you. He was Stardust um, who produced that song, which is a massive Ibiza hit. And he was working on other kind of slightly more ambient. Um, yeah. Ibiza kind of white aisle uh, chill out songs at the time. So I wonder whether it was an idea that he'd had banging around in his head. Yeah. I thought, Oh, that'll, that'll work. And they're, they're a lot more kind of chilled out and beachy is a very kind of like, it's uh a very good way of describing them really. And especially this song. Absolutely. Cause then it gets right back into the, 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 
the beat and the the groove here with superheroes and this has got to be one of my favorites i almost picked this as my favorite song but yeah this is the song that we both want to hear in the club if we go Mm -hmm. and uh definitely i think probably for me it's yeah the most danceable or the one i'd most likely to dance to Mm. super groovy used a sample this one kind of surprised me they used a sample from barry manilow's song who's been sleeping in my bed and uh i put that song on and it was like wow like to hear it like in the barry manilow song is just super weird yeah Uh, but uh because i just i know barry manilow's not someone i ever really would ever i just never kind of paid attention to him i know who he is i know he's famous but i just Mm. yeah never really I was like, oh, yeah, Barry Manilow, cool, you know. Yeah, it makes you wonder, like, I mean, this is the whole thing about sampling and electronic music and hip-hop in general that I I find it difficult to get my head around is that they're listening to this Barry Manilow track <laughs> and they hear something in it and they think, oh, I could use that in a loop. And right. It will, you know, it will augment whatever I've got in my head that I'm working on at the moment. I, I right. It's such an alien way of making music to me, but it's a a lot of, like we were saying earlier on, a lot of the samples on this record are played by them to sound like old samples as well. So as much as we're pointing out that, you know, there's one big sample on each of these tracks, there's a lot of other fake samples that they've made. And it reminds me of the Beastie Boys um, with stuff like Paul's Boutique, where they Mm -hmm. basically made an entire record, which was all them creating samples that sounded like they'd come off some obscure like 70s b-side or 60s b-side or something right right um but yeah it's interesting that barry manilow of all people is being sampled on this uh, incredibly heavy club song <laughs> yeah well and and this is another song that we could probably hear on homework right it has that uh that very repetitive quality to it got a great driving beat though. And the sample is really perfect. And also really love the spacey sound effects on this track. Superheroes is definitely, definitely one of the highlights of this album for sure. Mm. Yeah. It stands out. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, High life is next. And again, we have another sort of, I found like a lot of the songs maybe later in the album have more of a repetitive quality kind of, you get a lot of the tracks that could have maybe been more on homework, but, and, and high life is kind of one of those, but uh, really underrated song. I just don't hear it played that much, but they're using a sample from the song breakdown for love by Tavares. I think is how you say it. Okay. Yeah. 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 Never heard of it before. And it's a great dance floor tune. So really, again, they're knocking it out of the park with high life and the samples mm. that they're using. But mm. uh, yeah, another great one with a great beat meant for the club for sure. Yeah. I think you're right about what you say about this last half of the album getting slightly more repetitive. And I know that it was something that a lot of my friends back in the day were like, why, how can you listen to that music? Cause <laughs> it's just so repetitive. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's something about it. I like the fact that they layer things. And like, if you're really listening to it, you can hear the, the various elements being added and then taken away. Right. And uh, there's a there's a technical part of it that, like I say, just absolutely blows my mind. But um, yeah, I can kind of see where people are coming from. If you don't like repetitive music, Daft Punk probably isn't for you. 
but uh yeah, yeah like that... the, the, but this album like you say is so front loaded those first yeah. four songs are so incredible that uh even the fact that these songs are brilliant they do sound slightly repetitive than the rest of them yeah, because that was another criticism, I think, of electronic music was just it was repetitive and uh, mm. it was, you know, it was something that on, when you're on the dance floor, you don't you want it to be repetitive because you're dancing. Exactly. But, but when you're just listening to it casually, there's a lot of people who can't or don't want to listen to the same kind of song over and over again. Mm. But um, not that. I mean, Daft Punk never really plays the same song over and over again, but a lot of these songs just have that nature about them where they're constantly, you know, it's the same beat, same beat throughout the the song here. Yeah. But then we get to another really different song with something about us. Things slow down for this one. And I almost put this as the song that could be on a different album because it's just really different. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but I picked it as the song to skip just because it's not keeping up with the rest of the album. I know Night Vision isn't either, but something about us is a song that is showing a little bit more of their range, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, it's a good song. It's just uh, when you're when you're listening to superheroes and high life and and then you have Voyager right after this, it's like to have something about us kind of just sneak in there. You know, because it's know. it's almost like a it's like a love song, isn't it? It's like yeah. a really kind of tender, like almost kind of overly romantic love song. It's very, uh, very, very different from everything else on the uh, on the album. But like you say, there's nothing wrong with showing a bit of range. I don't think. Yeah, it it is uh, probably the most romantic song, mm-hmm. and it's a cool transition. But uh, I don't know. It's it's like one of those songs that I have to be in the mood for if mm-hmm. I want to really, really listen to it all the way through. But uh, but yeah. And uh, I yeah, I just think it it's a good one to show the diversity of what the band is able to or the duo, I should say, is, uh, is capable of of achieving. So mm. and I think was this the the final single that was released off the album as well? Or, or uh, it might have been. Was it this one or face to was face to face a single? uh face to face was it came out yeah face to face came out in october this came out in uh november november 2000, okay. 2003 they came out oh like, wow so two years after the uh the album was released because of that the movie. might explain quite possibly yeah yeah but that might also explain the fact that it only got to 138 in the uk <laughs> oh right okay and also there's the law of diminishing returns with singles off an album anyway the more right. the more singles that you release the less well they sell but right. yeah the fact that it came out two years after the uh the album might also have something to do with that that would probably yeah definitely hmm. but then we get into another club hit here with voyager love this song hmm. no lyrics this is great but yeah such a catchy funky beat and uh I love the instrumentation in the background, making it, you know, have this otherworldly space feel. So really cool, cool song. Um, Overlooked, I think, a lot of the time. But Mm. yeah, just an awesome track. So I think the other thing about these, um, these kind of latter stage of the album tracks is they're using less actual samples by the sounds of it. 
these yeah. are the samples that they've made themselves rather than sampling other people's work. So perhaps that uh, is another reason that these sound more old Daft Punk than new Daft Punk because they're right. not using those samples with real kind of, well, not necessarily real instruments, but certainly instrumentation from other artists. So possibly that's a reason that they sound a little bit more repetitive. Yeah, yeah. Veritas Quo, though, is a very mm. different song, another cooler, chill song. Again, it brings it down a bit from the pounding dance songs. And I guess the name of the song translates to something like, where are you going? So it's kind of like, um, you know, it's like a question or like a statement of where you are. Uh, it's Latin. I thought it was French at yeah. first, but it's Latin. So, um, mm. all, Or all you, you can uh, read it as... Uh, I was going to say all you Latin speakers out there uh (laughs) tell me what it means but yeah alternatively you can read it as very disco ah yes yeah possibly as well that's right something that i uh that i only realized while doing some research for this as well um but yeah so it could it could be it could be that it's that or it could be that it's just a play on words in a in a a strange way (laughs) it's a cool song though it's not uh yeah, I mean it's it's cool. It's it's not it's not a song that jumps out at me and and is like, oh, I love this song. But it's you know it's a good song. I find it to be. Mm. Uh, was it in any of your categories? I think it was mentioned, right? Uh, it was mentioned in. Let me go back to the top. Yeah, so it was almost the song that sounded like it's off a different album. Yeah, for me. Um, because again, I think it's uh, it's almost got a kind of. Uh, almost like a slightly more orchestrally type feeling. It feels like it's being uh, written almost like their Tron soundtrack stuff mm-hmm. where that was written to be played alongside an orchestra. It's just, they didn't put the orchestra with this. So it's got right. that kind of, yeah, it's got a, it's got a different sound to it than everything else on the album. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would agree with that. They're not different enough to be completely off putting and sound completely right. alien, but it almost sounds like if you'd stuck some strings on there, then it would have filled it out even more, perhaps. Yeah. Well, going to short circuit, it's kind mm. of a big jump because I'd say this is probably the most experimental song on the album. There's a lot going on. Really funky, mm. synthy, cool song. I, and I like how at the end, it literally sounds like someone is being shut down. It's got this cool effect where the song just kind of starts to... S- it sounds like a robot is literally failing or something, right? Yeah. It's, it's got a cool effect to it, but, um, but yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly, yeah, it's, it's an odd song. Cause again, it, it's in between two quite, um, yeah, two quite different songs. They're really showing a lot of range Mm-hmm. Uh, here and it, it's kind of the the album starts bouncing around a little bit towards the end but I you know again I like that I like yeah. that there's a different you know uh, a certain range of styles going on here and this one like you say it does sound like the robots are being shut down towards the end right <laughs> uh, but then it goes into a really catchy song so it's funny because face to face could have been I mean, if it was in the front half of the album, it would have fit perfectly. Like uh, it, it goes really well with like Digital Love, Aerodynamic, One More Time, those kind of songs. 
but they stuck yeah. it here towards the end. I think uh, probably to kind of vary it up a bit because this is this is one of those songs that is less repetitive than um, a lot of the other songs we're hearing so far. And this mm-hmm. latter half, and this is probably my favorite song. It's just really catchy, groovy, positive sounding, and I just find it hard not to like it. And you know, they had help on this one with producer Todd Edwards. He also sang. Mm-hmm. And they layered his vocals. And uh, I guess the duo told him to sing like they do in Foreigner. So he sort of <laughs> tried his best, I guess. But it sounds really cool. And it's probably the cleanest vocals uh, in terms of like, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of messing around with it, at least mm. his original vocals. But Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's been put through a vocoder or it doesn't sound like it's been... Um kind of auto-tuned in the same way that um, Rome Anthony's voice was, for example. Um, And possibly that's to do with the fact that they were quite surprised that he could sing the way that he did on it. Yeah. Um, Maybe he sang, you know, so in tune that they thought it would be unfair right to uh to 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 mess with his uh to mess with his voice too much. Um but I think again it's um it's another uh, example of them choosing a vocalist to really kind of to really improve a song sound i think that his voice sounds brilliant on this song mm-hmm. i think it totally fits exactly what it needs to do yeah and um yeah it just it just absolutely works for me this is a this is a great song and like you say much more of a much more of a traditional song style yeah, uh, with kind of verses and choruses and stuff, unlike a lot of the stuff at the end of this album. Well, the last song is really different, too long. Mm. Uh, ironic, you mentioned it being too long <laughs> and how it's kind of a play on words. Ironic that it's called too long, 10 minutes long. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, you know, it goes through a lot of changes, though. Ro- Romanthony's on here, too, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, it yeah. does. And, and usually like long songs like that do or have in the past tended to put me off. And I think maybe as a younger person in their teens, I was like, oh, I don't have time to be listening to this 10 minute song. <laughs> Who's got 10 um, minutes, right? Exactly. Nobody, nobody's I'm got 10 so minutes. Busy. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, uh, getting getting older and, and this is the first time I've listened to this album properly in years and years and years, I think. Um, and I, what I mean by that is like listening intently to it and, uh, you know, trying to hear out for anything that, you know, I can, I can kind of talk about here, but, um, yeah, certainly today listening to it, I had it on in the background while I was doing work and all of a sudden I was four minutes into this song without realizing it. I didn't feel like it had taken four minutes. I was aware that it had started. And then I looked back over and thought, oh, okay, we're nearly halfway through this song. And I hadn't noticed because there are different kind of, um, there are lots of changes that go on throughout to actually keep you interested. Yeah. Um, and yeah, perhaps my younger self was uh, slightly too rash. Maybe, but I've, if this song was in any other spot, I would probably skip it. I would say I don't have the time to listen to it. But what's interesting about time is, I'm someone who will listen to close to the edge by yes. I will listen to those three songs. Two of them are over 20 or about 20 minutes a piece. Mm. So I have, I have time to listen to a 20 minute yes song. 
I don't have time to spend a minute talking to someone about saving the planet outside of a grocery store, right? When they're like, do you have a minute, sir? I'm like, no, I don't. But I have 20 minutes to listen to a Yes song. I don't have 10 minutes to listen to a Daft Punk song. It's weird how time works. It's just kind of like yeah. you really do pick like, hey, I could like, because I mean, if you're into prog rock, you know, you're going to be listening to a song for quite a while, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've got a few Dream Theater albums and they're they're self-indulgent. Like, <laughs> Yeah, totally. So I guess when an electronic group comes out with a long song, you're like, oh, Hmm. You know, I don't know about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So because with the prog rock song, you go on a journey where it's like by the end of the song, you don't even know what the song is anymore. It's just like well, you're, you're starting off in Hobbiton and then you go all the way across Middle Earth to Mount <laughs> right. Doom, don't you? Right. Most of the time and you're you're battling orcs. And <laughs> yeah. Whereas like with an electronic song, you're pretty much you're used to the same kind of beat throughout and you're like, Oh, do I want to listen to a very similar pounding beat for 10 minutes straight? Not that this song is that, but you just, Mm. I think going in, you're like, Ooh, I don't know. Like that's a long time Mm. to listen to the same kind of song. Maybe. I don't know. But yeah. Again, it's those, uh, it's those preconceptions. I think that sometimes, uh, you know, do for us, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, I was made to listen to this again because it has kind of reframed things in my mind slightly where I'm like, oh, I should give more time to some things sometimes. Yeah, I agree. And you should give time to those people outside of the grocery store who are <laughs> yeah with the petitions. I've, you know, it, it's probably important. Uh, and, and it is, but uh, <laughs> I think when you're in a rush, you're just like, no, 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 no. I don't want to talk to you right now. Right. Yeah. Like, but I agree with what there you're doing. There are other things. Mm. Yeah. There are other things, but. um but anyways porter robinson said young new fans of dance music who haven't done it yet please listen to daft punk's discovery album now don't be ashamed just catch up so Mm -hmm. listen to porter robinson guys i just think it's a great album to listen to and uh if you want to feel good if you want to want catchy music if you want to feel young again i think it's one of those albums you know Definitely. And what I always tend to say to people who feel like they're missing out on something and don't feel like they can go back to listen to it is that I wish that I could watch Back to the Future for the first time again. I wish I could listen to, I don't know, Never Mind the Bollocks by the Sex Pistols for the first time again, just to get that impact. Mm-hmm. Because there are certain albums or films or, or anything, just single songs that have such an impact and are so important and change the game that they they still have that impact whether it's 20 years after they've been released or not you know i mean you can i i think that this still sounds today like a pretty contemporary album i don't think that the i don't think the production has aged too much um now, obviously, they went on to inspire a bunch of people who've brought out so many other records and and uh, and what have you since then. But um, yeah, they're the originators, and I think that if you're interested in music and you like decent music, you like Justice, or you like, I mean, even Steve Aoki or Skrillex, like the the original seed of those guys is here in this album. So. Or even yeah. if you like modern dance pop music, like even if you're into like, you know, uh, 
even if you're into stuff like, um, I don't know, Dua Lipa or Billie Eilish or The Weeknd, The Weeknd or stuff like that, or Childish mm. Gambino or anything. Like if you're into any of this stuff, like Daft Punk probably inspired a lot of it in some way. So mm. um, yeah, check it out. And uh, Tom, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, no problem, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been an honor. Guys, be sure to check out Tom's podcasts anywhere but here and band biographies. And we'll see you next time on the Broken Record Player podcast. listening to this episode of band biographies if you enjoyed it please don't forget to leave a five-star review on apple podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts please do reach out on twitter at band biogs instagram at band biographies search on facebook for band biographies or by emailing band at gmail.com see you next time